Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I read a story about a farmer in the Midwest who went into the bank to meet with his personal banker, and he sat down and said, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Now, if, we've, if you have any bankers here in your family or that you know any bankers, you know, sometimes they can be a dour group. They look at worst-case scenarios. And so he said, do you want the good news or the bad news first? And the banker folded his arms and said, you better give me the bad news first. So the farmer said, you know, it was a bumper year for the crop. Best, best in years. He said, that's good news, right? Yes, but I decided to take my family down to Disney World and celebrate with a great vacation. Sounds like great news. Yes, but we came home and decided we needed a new car. Fantastic. Yes, but my wife also wanted to put an addition onto the house. All good news. Yes, but... I have spent all the profit on the harvest and I have nothing to pay back the loan you gave me, not even the interest for the seed, the fertilizer, and the equipment. And the banker said, that indeed is bad news. What could possibly be the good, the good news? And the farmer smiled and said, the good news is I've decided to do business with you again and I need another loan this season for the seed, the, far, the fertilizer, and so on. Now, it's, it's not a knee-slapping story, but, but it is very similar to the conversation that God had with his people in 587 B.C. The people of God came to him and said, we've got some good news and some bad news. First, the bad news, we're no longer observing the Sabbath. We're no longer going to raise our children in your ways. We're no longer going to follow your commandments. We're going to make up prophecy that fits our needs, and we're going to chase after other gods. And God said, that indeed is bad news. <laughs> what could possibly be good, good news? The people of God said, we're still going to do business with you, and we'll call upon your name whenever we're in a jam. Now, I'm not sure how the banker reacted, but I do know how God reacted. Because the book of Ezekiel is written during this time. And the book of Ezekiel talks about how God, how God was so displeased with his people that he used an enemy nation called Babylonia and their wicked king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to come down to punish God's people because, because there are consequences to our behavior. Do you know that? There are consequences to our behavior. If you smoke lucky strikes for 50 years, and decide then to quit and you get lung cancer, it's really hard to complain or shake your fist at God because there are 
consequences to our behavior. The people of God in 587 were without excuse because for 10 years, the prophet Ezekiel had spoken to them, had warned them about the path that they're heading. The Ezekiel said these words, You are a land that is not clean. Princes are like roaring lions tearing the prey. Priests have done violence to God's teaching and profaned the holy things. The people have disregarded the Sabbath. Officials are like wolves shedding blood. The people have committed robbery, oppressed the poor, extorted the needy. For ten years, over and over again, Ezekiel is warning them that they're going in the wrong direction, that this indeed is bad news, and there are consequences for our behavior. As a last-ditch effort, I suppose, Ezekiel makes one final plea to the people of God. And he says this, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap. I searched for someone to stand in the gap. The wall of Jerusalem had been breached. There's a gaping wall Um, Quite literally, Ezekiel is saying, I am looking for some who will stand in that gap with spear and sword in hand. Somebody with the courage to be able to fight for this family in the back, for the faith that we hold dear. I'm looking for somebody with righteousness to stand in that gap, to take on those who are oppressing and attacking us. I am looking for someone to stand in the gap, literally, but also figuratively. In a land that is wayward, away from God's teaching, he's saying, is there anyone? Is there anyone who will stand in the gap between righteousness and unrighteousness? Between the things of God and the things of this world? Between purity and impurity? Is there anyone left? Anyone who will stand in the breach of the wall, who will stand in that gap. Until, sadly enough, the prophet answers his own plea. And he says, but I found no one. But I found no one. And with that, God brings forth the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar. They destroy the rest of the wall. They come in and they flatten Jerusalem. They they turn the temple into rubble. And they drag God's people up north to Babylonia where they're in captivity. This is where the stories of Daniel in the lion's den. Or that French prayed about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. That's this time in our biblical history. But I found no one. Sad words, aren't they? 
sad words. Now, I, I realize, I, I realize that it is the responsibility of all men and women to stand in that gap, to stand firm with courage and integrity and righteousness within that gap. But let me for just a moment speak to the men. Because I had a conversation uh, last year in Minnesota. Now, my family's from Minnesota, and every year we make this return trip pilgrimage back to Minnesota and see everybody back there. And, and there was one evening in which, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I had the opportunity to have dinner with um, like five of my nephews <clears throat> and nieces, along with their, either their, their spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. <clears throat> so there were like, I don't know, 10 of us. There were like, there were five of them, five couples. And I think it was because Uncle Scott was gonna pick up the bill, they were willing to come on out and have dinner. And I wasn't gonna waste this opportunity. Somewhere in the middle of dinner, I, um, I asked them this question. <clears throat> I said, I know none of you go to church, at least on a regular basis. Now, no guilt. I'm not coming here to lay down the judgment. I, I really want to know why. As we at Christ Lutheran are trying to figure out how to do church in a new world, I need to know the answer to that question. So why? No judgment. Many of the guys went first, and they said, you know, Uncle Scott, it's boring. It's just boring. Um, I, I don't like to sing particularly. The message is usually I can't relate to it. Now, if, if we went out on a hike, if we were out going kayaking, if we were climbing a mountain and had a devotional at the end of it, I could do that. But Sunday morning, boring. Another one said, I'll be honest, I'm lazy. I, uh, I like to sleep in. I like to sleep in on Sunday morning and um, um, have a big breakfast and just hang out. And all the other excuses were something like this. And then the women spoke. And all the women, they said, I would, I would like to go to church. And I would like that to be a part of our relationship that we share. But I don't know anybody at the church, and I'm not going to go there alone and sit there by myself, and he's not all that interested. End of discussion. So on the way home, we were driving a big SUV or a van or something, and, and I stopped to get gas because Uncle Scott was also going to pay for the gas that night. So I get out and... Um, you know, get everything ready to, to put the nozzle in, and some of the guys come out because that's what we do. We sit around gas pumps and we talk, you know. So I, <clears throat> so I put it on the least amount of drip coming out of the, the pump because <laughs> 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 I knew I wasn't going to have much more time. And as the gas was pumping, I said to these guys, 
and they're all like in their late 20s, maybe 30. I said, did you hear, did you hear what was said at dinner? These women are longing for you to take the lead. They are longing for you to be able to show some leadership for this relationship when it comes to spiritual matters. And you're sleeping in? Now, there's a great story I told them from Joshua 24. When Joshua, at the end of the Exodus, before they go into the promised land, before they set one foot in the promised land, Joshua gathers all the people together. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. The gods of Egypt? The gods of the desert? Or as we go into this promised land, will you serve the Lord our God, the God of our ancestors? And then Joshua said, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now again, I don't want to be too patriarchal about this. Certainly it is the role of both men and women, mothers and fathers, husbands and wife, to stand in that gap, to provide that spiritual leadership for their family. But in this small, unscientific study, they were longing for these men to step it up, to stand in that gap. Not, not in a dominant way, I'm not suggesting that but with grace. Because one of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. Now, the word prodigal is not a word that we use very often these days, is it? The word prodigal means um, wasteful or reckless, particularly when it comes for financial reasons. Prodigal, which describes this story well. The younger son goes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. Which is really his way of saying what? I wish you were dead. Because that's when we get our inheritance, right? But the father gives him his inheritance and <clears throat> true to his title, he is prodigal. He, he wastes all this money on loose living, the Bible says. Loose living. Until he finally has nothing. And for a young Jewish boy, he sinks to the deepest of depths. Because he ends up being a servant to pigs. Of course, pigs are unclean, right, in Judaism? And he's the one who's feeding pigs. I mean, you can't get any lower than that. And so he comes to his senses and thinks, my dad's hired servants eat better than this. I'll go back. And so he, he recites his speech. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be a servant. You know, when you're going to have an important conversation with somebody, you kind of rehearse that speech in your mind, right? Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be a servant. And he walks all the way home. Father, thinking to himself, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven. No longer let me be your servant. And so he gets within eye shot of the house 
And what does the father do? The father, first of all, is on the front porch watching for his son to come home. He's watching. He's never given up. Number two, he runs down down the road. He doesn't sit in the front porch with his arms folded, tapping his foot. He runs down the road. He gives him a big hug. Third thing he does, the the son tries to stop and say, Father, uh, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy. He tries to get his speech out. The dad cuts him off. Says, number four, bring in a ring. Number five, bring in shoes. Number six, bring in the clothing. And number seven, kill the fatted calf. Because we're going to have a party. The father was prodigal. Not with finances. But he was wasteful. He was reckless with his love. With his love. Now, some people may suggest, what about a little discipline? What about a little discipline here? Uh, the dad was a little bit too relaxed on this young kid. Well, let's talk about discipline. And it's a sore subject for some, I know. Because for some, you grew up with, it wasn't discipline, it crossed the line into abuse. I know discipline is a sore subject for some. But this is what the Bible says about discipline. Whoever loves their children are careful to discipline them. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Discipline is very important for a couple of reasons. First of all, because no family ought to be run by a 10-year-old. Let me look around. Do I have to make any eye contact with anybody? No family ought to be run by a 10-year-old. But also, number two, discipline is not about anger, it's about love. It's not about inflicting pain, it's about preventing pain in the future. Punishment is not an end in itself, it is a way to change mind, attitude, and direction. Discipline is necessary. So, did the father discipline his child? Maybe not with a belt. Maybe not by sending him out with the servants. But in the sense of changing his mind and attitude and direction, absolutely. Absolutely. The direction of this child was changed forever because the the father's prodigal, reckless, wasteful love and grace for him to receive him back home. Much like Israel. God comes in 587, destroys the nation, brings them in captivity for 40 years, but the people then come to faith once again. And God sends two more people, Ezra and Nehemiah, to be able to bring them back to Jerusalem and to restore them once again. Reckless, 
wasteful, prodigal with grace. Two weeks ago, there was a friend of mine that told me the story about his brother, or better yet, about his niece. You see, his brother's daughter, his niece, was a holy terror in middle school and high school. I mean, I really mean it. She, uh, lying to her parents, stealing money from them, very promiscuous with much older men, running away from home, drugs and alcohol, in and out of rehab so many times. The rest of the extended family decided that she wasn't worth it anymore. The rest of the extended family said, enough is enough. She's toxic. You need to cut her off. And she can't be a part of this family anymore because of the turmoil. So they, they asked my friend, the brother, he would be the spokesperson. You go talk to your brother and tell them we have decided that enough is enough. So he calls up his brother. He gets a couple of sentences into this rehearsed speech. And the brother cuts him off and says, you're talking about my daughter. I am not going to abandon her. Whatever it takes, I'm going to rescue her because I want her as part of my family and a part of my life. Prodigal, careless, reckless. I don't want to suggest that he was enabling or coddling her there was tough love. But I'm also pleased to report that she's now 32 years old. She is sober. She's got a husband and a beautiful daughter. And she is a part of that family's life. Radical, prodigal, wasteful, reckless. I think the prophet still speaks today. The prophet still, it's not like in 587 we figured it out and we've lived happily ever after. The prophet still speaks today because there is blatant disregard for God's ways, because we're not raising up our children in the faith, because sleeping in on Sunday like my nephews, because, because, because. I think the prophet still speaks today. And he asks that same plea. Would you put that up there again? The next one here about anybody stands in the gap. <clears throat> All the way to the end of that. He asks the question, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap. I searched for someone to stand in the gap. The prophet still speaks today. And unfortunately, once again, he answers his own plea. But I found no one. 
No one with that righteousness or courage. No one to stand between the things of God and the things of the world, the things of impurity and the things of purity. But I found no one. The bad news is the people have said to God, we have disregarded the Sabbath, we have gone in our own way, we are making up our own truths. The good news is, God has said, I'm still going to do business with you (laughs) because you are my child. I'm not going to abandon you. Whatever it takes, to whatever measures I must go, even to a cross, I want to rescue you because I want you a part of my life. So God does what we could not do ourselves. God stands in that gap between righteousness and unrighteousness. God stands there to defend us. He stands behind us to give us courage to continue to remain. He stands in front of us to take on the flaming arrows of the enemy. He stands beside us to encourage us to remain in the gap, to stand where he already is for you, in that place, for his sake. Is there anyone left to stand in the gap? There is one. There is one. And holy is his name. He calls us to be there with him. This time, as he pleads, we pray that he will not come up empty. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called all believers, male, female, men and women, mothers, fathers, children alike to stand in that gap where you already are to defend us, to protect us, to encourage us to remain faithful to our calling as children of the Heavenly Father. For it's in his name we gather and pray. Amen. All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.